0: Welcome to the MIT Sloan Sports Analytics Conference podcast, presented by ESPN and 42 Analytics. This is Jessica Gelman, who, along with Daryl Morey, co-founded and chair the conference with a fantastic group of MIT Sloan students each year. We are thrilled to announce the launch of this podcast network to add more avenues to grow awareness and innovation around analytics in sports. We are excited to make the panel discussions from our 2019 conference, which covers a wide range of sports and analytics topics available via podcast for the very first time. Thanks for listening, and enjoy.
1: Good morning, and welcome to the 2019 Sloan Sports Analytics Conference. My name is Jill Payne, and I'm a Sloan Fellow MBA student at MIT Sloan School of Management. And it's my pleasure today to bring you our panel, Scoring Sponsorships, Metrics to Maximize Brand Value, presented by Hooked. Our panelists today include Scott Tilton, who's CEO and co-founder of Hookit, Adam Groh, who's Chief Operating Officer of Core Software, Rahul Kadavankulu, who is Executive Director of Global Branding and Marketing for Rakuten, Ian Fitzpatrick, who's Head of Global Content and Digital Marketing for New Balance, and Joe Ruggiero, who's Vice President of Strategy and New Business for the NFL. Our moderator today is Warren Zola, who's executive director of the Boston College Chief Executives Club. If you have a question that you'd like to submit for today's panel, you can do so using the hashtag sponsorship analytics. We'll have about 45 minutes of moderation, and then we'll have about 10 minutes for Q&A at the end. Uh, we'll only be selecting the questions with the highest mentions. And with that, I'll turn it over to Warren.
2: Thank you very much, Jill, and uh, thank you for all of you Joining us this morning, the lights are fairly bright, but I will assume that this entire room is packed and there's standing room in the back as well. Um, but we're thrilled to be here and to contribute to what has turned into an absolutely spectacular conference over the 13 years that it's been going, which has been a tribute to, to Jess and Daryl and all the students at, uh, at MIT. And I think, uh, real quick, I think the intro remarks this morning from the dean at, at MIT were really insightful and I think will lead us today, where for those of us who teach business of sports, it used to be you would take sort of best practices from the business world and figure out what decisions and how to apply it in the sports context. And now, and analytics are certainly part of that, and sponsorship is a big part of analytics, now within sports, this is where the cutting edge decisions and innovations occurring, and you're seeing other industries begin to learn from sports. So I think that's fantastic. We've got a great panel here today, um, and I'm really excited about about launching into this. And the goal that we're going to try to answer today is how do we use data and analytics to change sponsorship decisions? And just a a couple of of data points to get us started, and then I'll I'll get the ball rolling with some questions. According to the Sports Innovation Lab, there's a couple of data points that they've pulled together to give you an idea of the scope of sponsorship on a global stage. Uh, In 2018, it's estimated that $46 billion was spent on global sports sponsorship, which is about a 20% increase over the past five years. Uh, That includes, or that on top of that, another $101 billion in activation of those sponsorships. Um, more data that we 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 have from IEG is that 80% of brands report a need to validate the ROI on sponsorship, yet only 35% of those brands have systems in place. Which means we have a large number of people trying to invest in some sort of sponsorship measurement, which is why we've got some some leaders in the industry here to talk a little bit about that. Um, the sports, the, the landscape is changing and one of the reasons that it's changing so much in sponsorship is the way we consume entertainment. It is now done asynchronously. You will watch your favorite TV show whenever it's convenient for you as opposed to when it airs at, at nine o'clock on a Thursday with the exception of sports. And as a function of that, the, sponsor, the viewership for sports continues to stay high And as a function of that, sponsorship deals become all the more imperative and they become more expensive because of the viewership. And as that cycle continues, we now need expertise and data to help make great decisions both on the brands and the properties, but also to collect that data to figure out how those decisions have been made, whether they've worked well and to look towards the future. So I'll stop there. That gives us a nice framework for the panel. Um, and what's clear sort of as, as we get going, and I think that hopefully today will give you some, some insight, is that while spon- sponsorship continues to grow, there's a feeling that the industry itself is flying blind. And I think that, again, the experts today should help shed some light on that to help you moving forward. So that's enough of my, my remarks. Um, you aren't here to hear from me. You want to hear from the experts. Let me start with Rahul, Ian, and, and Joe. Um, in this new world, when you're a brand or property deciding on a sponsorship deal, how has the industry changed over the past decade or so? Um, I'll start with you, Joe.
3: Sure. So clearly it's changed a lot over the past decade. You have what was often thought of as almost a vanity industry, that you have a CEO who happens to love the Packers, so they become a sponsor of the Packers. And as the industry has changed and analytics has become more prevalent and it's possible to put numbers against some of those investments, there's an eagerness to put the numbers against the investments and the investments, the price of those has continued to rise. So if this is something that now is not just appearing at down here as an expense line, it's up here. And you've got CFOs who are asking tough questions about, am I driving ROI off of this? And how do I um, increase the value that I'm getting out of this partnership? So as part of that, both the brand side and the property side have embraced analytics a lot more. And I'd say if you were to go a decade or so back, actually I had a conversation with a friend at another property that said um, there was a reticence around analytics to say, all right, this is something that brands are just going to use to try and chop away at the value of that sponsorship. The interesting piece that came out of that conversation was, no, wait, what if it's actually the opposite, that by using analytics, you're proving the value of that sponsorship in a way that hasn't been thought of before? And can analytics actually help to grow the industry? And that's something that I think we're seeing over time now.
2: That's great. Um, Ian, New Balance is certainly a major player in this, both on sort of an individual and at at a macro level. What changes has either new balance or have you seen in this industry um, over the past decade or, or thereabouts
4: I, it's funny to hear you say this, that we're a major player I hadn't thought of us that way I think we perpetually uh, try to try to view the world in which a view, view a world in which we're a challenger to the major players certainly we're outspent by uh, an extraordinary uh, ratio I think I think what's fundamentally changed, I won't speak to the industry at large, but I will Mm -hmm. speak to New Balance, um, is that a decade ago, the sponsorships we had were significant to us, but Mm -hmm. fairly small ball by the the standards of the people sitting in this room. Um, A decade later, track stars are commanding numbers that they never did before. Uh, In part because athletes like Sydney McLaughlin who may or may not mean a lot of people in this room, means an awful lot to a 14-year-old girl and an awful lot of them. Um, but also for a brand like ours, we're starting to spend what for us is extraordinarily significant money going into basketball and, uh, and uh, ponying up for Kawhi Leonard and beginning to think about athletes like, uh, or digging more into places like the Premiership. So for us, we're starting to write checks that come with questions we haven't had to answer in the past. And it's not so much uh, a matter of analytics growing up within the organization as it is having to answer new kinds of questions that we as an organization just simply didn't have to answer
2: before. Like what questions?
4: Like what is all this Kawhi money getting me um, Is a start? Or um, what is the best way for us to begin to monetize these sponsorships, especially for athletes who may or may not be able to monetize them on their own. Mm-hmm. Okay.
2: Rahul, you are at Rakuten and you, you have carved out, intentionally, sponsorship as a priority for the organization, which is a huge global brand. In addition to, I want to hear sort of the, the sort of your thoughts again and, on how it's evolved over the past decade, but, but take a step back and tell me, why is it such an important component of, of your organization?
5: So uh, let me start with introducing Raktan a little bit. I'm sure a lot of you are seeing the brand and the logo out there now, but uh, we're a household name in Japan, right? We're not a single-service company. We're an ecosystem. We have 70 businesses, which are all connected, and at the core sits the brand, data, and membership, which is our loyalty program. Now, our international expansion has largely been inorganic. Uh, It's through acquisitions. And by strategy and design, we let these businesses run with their own brand names—the ones which we acquired them with. Ebates was Ebates, uh, Viber, our messaging app, was Viber. Uh, But in 2017, we thought the timing was right to unify all these brands and bring them under the Rakuten portfolio. To start with, um, we needed belief internally that we're ready to go on this journey. It's a huge brand transformation. It's not a one-off project that you say, "Okay, we've done it." It's just not logo changes. Uh, So we needed something very strong to support us through this journey. And sports is not new to us. We own a a baseball team in Japan. We own a a soccer team in Japan. And we were in a similar position in in the early 2000s when we were building our brand in Japan and we took all those learnings. So That was one big thing going for sports. And two, in the early stages of building a brand, there's a certain emotional quotient that's required in order to uh, get consumers on board. Uh, it's the philosophy and the purpose with which you're building the brand that's more important than just starting to push television commercials at them or products and services straight away. So we thought sports would do that a lot better uh, in bringing that emotional quotient to over and above all the other value uh, that we need in building the brand. So that is the journey and it started. Uh, there's no looking back. It's working very well for us. We have made a positive start. Um, um, we are on the jersey of um, Football Club Barcelona. We are on the jersey of um, the badge on the Golden State Warriors. Um, we recently signed with uh, the Spartan Races, which is uh, an obstacle course race. We have Stephen Curry as our brand ambassador. I mean, it, it, it's been a pretty exciting, uh, busy, very, very good, busy uh, three years. Uh, the first question you asked in terms of how the industry has evolved, I think I completely agree with uh, Ian and Joe. I think it's changed significantly. It's not a bunch of administrators sitting and selling assets. Um, The value is not around, I'm giving you so many seats, so therefore the value is uh, is X. Uh, You see signage around the stadium and therefore you add Y on top of the X. I think the conversations are changing completely. It's today, I feel it's two brands sitting across the table, understanding what each other want and how we can contribute to this conversation. I think that's the change that I'm seeing um, uh, in the last decade or so.
2: Okay. And so Adam and Scott, you've heard from three brands that clearly are educated consumers in this space. They understand the value that sponsorship uh, can provide. And A, are you seeing more over the past decade, let's say, are you seeing more companies that are embracing that opportunity? Are they better? Are there customers out there that still don't quite get it, so that you are having a hard time selling the value proposition that you can provide with the insight that data can can provide for those those companies? I'll, I'll start with you, Adam.
6: Yeah, uh, for us, the teams are our, our primary customers right now. Um, I think you did an interesting stat early on where, like, of the 80 90% brands activating, 30% are actually managing it really well and keeping it organized, and that's a trend we see through the industry, and that's really where our niche is and where we came in to – Play, right is helping uh, organizations teams understand their assets better uh, one team for example we came in and they had maybe 30 assets on paper and by the time we got through helping them uh, put it into the core system it was around 700 800 assets right and if you don't have that in a system and you don't understand your assets you're gonna have a really hard time analyzing them because you're not gonna have the data you're not gonna have the ability to actually understand what the true value is so a lot of clubs are just trying to understand right now what their assets are how much they're worth are we activating against them? Um, And then uh, vice versa, where we're really making a lot of headways on the brand side as well and working with brands like Rakuten or New Balance and helping them understand their assets better as well, because the same problems we're seeing on the club side, we're also seeing on the brand side where there's these mega partnerships happening, but they're being measured on 20 different spreadsheets or the deals are being done and valued in someone's head who's been there for 20 years. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so I think the executives and CEOs that are asking for ROI, or uh, the CEO at a club who's asking for more revenue—they uh, realize that data and analytics are what's going to help them drive that additional gap, and so that's where Core really comes into play, is helping them put that pen to paper and start organizing it. So it's
2: certainly a trend that's changing uh, because people are actually starting to digitalize and create data. So I mean, when we talk about the statistics in terms of everyone sort of wants to do it, but not a lot of people understand how the, what the impact is. Mm-hmm. Um, how prepared are most of these these teams or clubs that you work with to actually provide you with data that you can then use? Right? Uh, are they sophisticated enough now where they can actually deliver stuff that you're able to come up with some, some real-world answers for them? Or are they still pretty far behind and they can't do that?
6: I would say it varies. Um, in all honesty, on the sponsorship side, the U.S. model is very different from the European model where, in Europe, most of these clubs are already sold out of tickets. and and the focus isn't about tickets and entertainment. Um, they're global brands, and they're doing massive deals um, globally, nationally, and regionally. Uh, versus the U.S. has been much more about ticketing and entertainment. Uh, so, I coming from the jazz, I compare sponsorship today to where I was when it maybe six or seven years ago in the ticketing world, where nowadays they're doing ticket pricing down to the seat by the game, by the day, by the hour, by the guy's favorite color, right? This guy likes red, he'll pay more than the guy who likes blue. Like they've gotten that deep with it and that sponsorship is just starting to ask those questions and starting to understand how much money we're leaving on the table. Uh, so some clubs, like the example I gave where the club had no assets on paper, it was all in their heads um, versus other clubs who uh, are really advanced and been doing this for years and we see that more on the global stage. Uh, Liverpool, who you guys partner with, very advanced um, and and so they're using our system to take it to the next level versus some of these other clubs are just using our system just to understand it at a very basic level so
2: okay Scott we finally get to the end of the row here and I'll I'll pose the same question to you but also you know hook it's helping evaluate the success of how these these relationships have have worked have you seen any change over the past ten years are there are there more Uh, educated questions that your uh, customers are asking you
7: yeah absolutely I think um, looking at I mean just thinking about the theme of this panel today you know sponsorship analytics wasn't even a term you know two to three years ago and you're finding that the organizations that have embraced the analytics culture have drove massive efficiencies in terms of generating ROI and understanding the investments that they're making and sponsorship to Ian's point is a very emotional form of marketing and the reality is even though 150 billion dollars is being spent annually on sponsorship and activation it's not measured like any other form of marketing right now so you've got really sophisticated technologies for ad tech and martech and you know SponTech is so in its infancy right now um, but yeah we're finding that the brands especially are really trying to understand the investments that they're making um, in the the past, they would rely on the properties to provide data and insights on what's working, what's not working, and I think they're now trying to take more of that control back where they can really understand, you know, where are they putting their money, what return are they getting, and how can they really go out and activate more effectively in real time, and that isn't possible without analytics.
2: I I look at the two of you because New Balance and Hookett have, have a relationship and I'm curious in terms of, as a case study, from New Balancers' perspective, what was it that attracted you to engage with, with Hoka? And what have you learned? And, and I guess from Hoka's perspective, you know, how are they as a client, and, and are they asking the right questions? I'll say yes, but. For
4: the for the <laughs> answer to that first question has got a lot hanging in the balance there, Scott. How are we as a client?
2: <laughs>
4: Do I have to answer that? <laughs> you want to go first, or shall I?
7: Um, I, I guess I can start no new balance is a phenomenal client um, when we first started working together <laughs> Two years ago um, You know our relationship started on the sports marketing side where they were trying to understand the value of some of their assets uh, like Liverpool and some of the clubs that they work with and very quickly it evolved into the uh, Research and insights team and now the global marketing and content teams so um so I think the way that they're approaching their sponsorship strategy is spot on, and Ian's point earlier is that you know they're making they're trying to get as much value as they can for budgets that aren't the size of Adidas and Nike, and um, but they've approached it in a very methodical way, and um, I'll let Ian talk about his strategy.
4: <clears throat> I think it's <clears throat> to answer your question. I think it's easy to get hung up on the analytics part, but at least for us, something like sponsorship analytics is really a three-legged stool. The first of, the first part of which is where we started the relationship. How do we value assets? And how do we begin to understand where we can maximize, or where we have opportunity given a finite budget? The second part, and the part that my team and Lauren Davis, who's in here somewhere, works with me and is terrific at this, are working to do, and by the way, if we're part of the 30% that has it, I'm terrified, because I, I all I can think about is the things we haven't done yet. But the second part... And, is maximizing the value of the assets that we have and maximizing them at a fairly granular level, right? So the first the first question that we would ask is um, how much is a piece of content that we create worth, right? But what we're beginning to look and say is if we create a piece of content with Kauai, how much is it worth, but also how much is it worth by business, by region, how much is it worth at a persona level right so we've been working with hook it to model our, our customer personas and then begin to say which athletes in our 600 something athlete portfolio should we be using to create content to target what kind of audience in what region and we have to play that way because we lack the, the resources to throw everything behind Ronaldo, right um, so we're looking at what content should we or what asset should we use with what content in what region, or by the way, should we not use an athlete because certain kinds of stories tell better without the athletes that we're sponsoring in certain regions. Right? And I think the next place you want to get to is, um, is how do we begin to tie that value that an athlete creates, not only through their own channels but through our own channels. How do we begin to tie that uh, to the way we value them and the way we buy media? globally. And then we can get down to a really specific set of dollar values that help us understand not only the effectiveness of the athlete, but our effectiveness in activating the athlete. And that's where I believe all the real white space is for us. We have Again, we have finite resources and we're going to overbuy in certain categories like running and track and field because that's where our brand is emotionally. But the challenge is to figure out where do we squeeze every bit of value. By the way, without without completely negating the value of those assets by using the same high-value assets over and over and over and over again and driving, uh, driving down engagement. And then the third part of that stool, I've answered this question for a long time, I apologize. The third leg of that stool is the making sure that the team in global sports marketing that is negotiating these contracts and identifying athletes is armed with the data we have about our capacity to extract brand accretive value from them so that as we begin to look into, the, into the, the possibilities of who we might sign next or how we might sign them, those teams are, are armed with, with the data that we create. And that's the hardest part of this. Hardest part isn't generating the data. Hardest part isn't finding a partner who can develop the analytics. The hardest part is building, is digging into the gray matter of organizations that aren't used to thinking this way and finding a common language that you can use maximize your investment that's the struggle that we have every day
2: Joe back to you on on the the NFL side you know massive property and you've got a whole cornucopia of sponsors league-wide and and certainly team-wide or or at the team level but how do you at at the league level sort of evaluate success in terms of we're partnered with X that was successful or it wasn't? What metrics do you, does the, the league use to evaluate that?
3: Yeah. So it starts from a very simple question that says, how is this partnership making the league better? Right? We will have, anytime that we're talking to a partner, if Commissioner Goodell's going and talking to the CEO of Pepsi or to Verizon, his question is, how is this partnership making the NFL better? And then the same question, how is this partnership making it better for Pepsi or Verizon or whoever. Um, And that question is going to be different for every single partner. So we're going to look at partnerships that are focused on making the game better. We're going to look at partnerships that are focused on community and cause efforts and driving the value of the NFL brand, connecting with different demographics. So each of our 30 league sponsors has a very different measure of success, but we're all very clear about how do we set that from the start. So if we're going and saying what's most important for this year for this partner is driving awareness, then let's put a bunch of assets against that. If it's something else where this year it's important to drive consideration or to drive purchase um, or to drive new business to business relationships, then let's measure against each of those pieces. Um, And it's gonna change over time. I think one of the things that is really core to how we think about partnerships at the NFL is the long-term nature of them. So Mm -hmm. all of our deals that we're doing are four years, five years, and going into those deals, we're thinking about what's that partnership gonna look like in 2.0. So we've gotta say, how can we be driving value collectively for a 10-year period with a certain partner. So that means there's got to be a lot of different stories coming out of this. There's got to be a lot of different touch points, and it can't just be, hey, let's do one campaign, measure against that campaign, and move on to the next. So hopefully that gives a a little bit of a sense.
2: So sort of a long-term strategy, win-win as best you can to determine success. Yeah. Rahul, your firm obviously has spent a decent amount of money on some properties, one of which is a jersey you're wearing, another one is a well-known NBA team. How, how does Rakuten evaluate success with either at, at a company-wide level or with an individual sponsorship deal?
5: I think it's a combination. So uh, like, like I said in my, in, when you asked me the previous question, it's about two brands talking to each other and see how we can help each other. And it's very important before you get into the data and the analytics side of things, to get this vision and strategy right. Um, when I announced um, uh, that I'm gonna be speaking at, 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 at this conference, I got a lot of messages from a lot of people. But when people started asking me what the topic was, they were like, oh, that's rough. It's gonna be a tough panel. I said, I think it needs to start with acceptance. I think you need to know that you have to evaluate these partnerships. There's no looking back from that. Uh, there's no point trying to spend money and shying away from data, whether it's long-term, short-term, or real-time. Um, I think m- when you have a metrics, I think it helps you evolve your strategy on the go. Um, if you're making some mistakes, you you learn, f- fail fast, learn fast, and you start evolving that strategy. Uh, so we 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 have a, a tripod, three-legged stool, but we have a tripod which is uh, the first the first piece of the pillar is uh, the brand itself. Um, if uh, uh, how are these partnerships helping us build the brand and That has two components. One is the brand in terms of people identifying the logo and and, and, um, understanding, um, uh, and the second part is understanding what business we actually do. So that's the first pillar. The second pillar is how much of this interest that we're getting in terms of awareness can we convert it into some form of business? We have, Like I said, we have 70 businesses. Not all 70 are in every market, but um, um, we have a mix in every market. So how do we convert some of this awareness into actual interest and, and, and maybe move them up the value chain into propensity to buy and actually get them to buy something? Now that takes time. And the third piece is, um, around new businesses now are there common goals that that we can achieve does the team want to go international do they want to launch into new markets which we can discuss and partner together and go into a market Uh, an example is uh, viber ragtan viber the messaging app Um, uh, one of the things that the golden state warriors wanted they had a lot of content beautiful content that they were pushing out in english but what we're helping them with is converting that into 10 different languages which is same content but it can be monetized in a very different way in different markets Now, that's the piece they didn't have, which we said we can actually piece for them, which is a win for them. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, So I think it goes back to the vision that you draw. Uh, That's super critical, because without that, your chances are your metrics are wrong, the way you evaluate the the data is wrong. It could be downhill from there. I think it's very important to get that vision right. So it's it's been a positive start, and we have a long way to go, like I said, but uh, the numbers um, seem very positive.
3: Yeah, I would absolutely agree with that. If you don't have the vision piece aligned the metrics aren't going to matter. I agree with that. One of the things that
4: I'm most excited about that's really just in its embryonic stages for us (coughs) is beginning to build metrics around a set of shared values between our brand and athletes that we have on the roster and athletes we might explore. So beginning to take brand attributes that we value, right, that are core to our positioning and being able to begin to measure alignment using social graph, really, um, of athletes in, term, in terms of beginning to drive, or how to, beginning to measure their alignment with that set of values, right? So that before we even have a conversation with an agent, before we approach an athlete, we'd be in a position to say they fit, they fit our idea of what our family, of what our roster looks like.
2: So it seems, and I, I see, Adam, I want to come to you because I see you, you, you're nodding your head. It seems that part of the strategy here clearly has to be proactive than reactionary to entering into this this space, right? Is that something that is becoming more common from clients that are, are coming to you? Are you helping them get there to think about not only, you know, some, some problem that's arisen, but what's your long-term strategy and, and how can sponsorship help get you closer to that goal?
6: Yeah, well, I think these guys are perfect examples of what's driving the industry forward. They're asking really tough questions and have stools and tripods uh, that they're drawing (laughs) up on their their chalkboards or whiteboards or whatever. And um, when you go to an organization and a club and a partner who doesn't have that type of data available, um, it really makes it hard for those organizations to answer these questions for you guys. And that's what's making the clubs start saying, hey, we need to become smarter in what we're doing so that we can prove the value and the value chain here. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's also what's changing what's valuable in the industry it, uh, we've seen a dramatic turn in what assets are the number one selling assets year over year and three years ago would have been signage and tickets and now it's digital assets and everybody's redoing their strategy on the way they actually sell uh, their, their sponsorship inventory by how many followers we have by what regions and, and it's not about getting LED signage and, and gaining those impressions within the entertainment of the game but it's the content and the reach that they have and you have to be measured, and you have to be organized to be able to to look at that and, and partner with these people. So, Scott, yeah, I think um, that's exactly where the industry
7: is going. Is you know when Anheuser-Busch Bush made the announcement shortly after this conference last year that they thought the traditional sponsorship model is broken, and you know we we couldn't agree more. And I think there has been a tendency where the industry has been very reactionary and and not very proactive. And it's probably going to go even a couple of steps further than that where sponsorship strategies will become prescriptive. And the data and the insights are there now and the metrics are there to be able to understand, you know, which assets are the best fit with my brand in advance of you even going out and negotiating with them. And then once that deal is, is cut, then there's uh, abilities to really activate in real time now and maximize the investments that are being made.
4: I think that's a really important point that a big part of my team's job going forward is going to be working with those assets to help them figure out how to maximize the value of that partnership, right? Down to the athlete level, how do we increase the value of down to the level of the social posts that you're making in order for us to be able to help
5: capitalize on the value that, that you bring to the brand. It, it also goes into uh, the way you structure the organization. See, mm-hmm. the, the team yeah. that's actually measuring should not be somebody sitting in the basement or on a different floor uh, coming <laughs> no. up once every quarter and telling you, hey, you know what, you're way off the metric that we would actually put together. They should be an integral part of the team. Um, um, sp- sports sponsorships, the team looking into that, and the brand team should be uh, somewhere tied, um, so that they agree on stuff way in advance and not meet once a quarter and, and, and disagree all the time. I think it'll go nowhere. So I think it also depends on the way you structure the organization. How do you embed everybody into that common goal and vision that you're drawing? Uh, keeping the fan, uh, who is potentially uh, a fan of your brand or a customer uh, in the future, um, uh, keeping them at the at the heart of everything that you're doing.
3: I'd agree with that. I think that That's something that we look at from the property side a lot to say, is this organization that we're potentially partnering with ready to do this? And that means you've got to have the people, you've got to have the analytical skill, you've got to have the plan to actually make this sponsorship successful. Because sometimes you'll just get someone who runs right into this and those deals are going to fail. So you've got to have the vision and you've got to have the plan and the people organized to actually maximize the, the investment that you're making.
4: I think one of the challenges in, in that, and I think that's exactly right, Joe, I think one of the challenges is, is that we're still in a space where the metrics that we're using, there's no standard gauge for the metrics that we mm-hmm. have, right, so one organization's set of analytics doesn't plug into another, yep. right, so how do we begin to translate between the way we measure value and the way you measure value? What are those standards going to be and how do we talk about them both between one another, but also how do we wrap those in narratives that flow through our organization such that people coming in and out of the organization can make sense of them. I think that's one of our most profound challenges as leaders is to figure out what is that, that shared
3: language. No, I totally agree with that because it's not like you're buying an ad and you can say, this is the CPM, and that's just a common fact. If it's one brand is going and doing a great piece of analytics, the property may be doing something else, and another brand may be doing something else, and it's hard to bring those into a negotiation when the first thing is gonna be questioned is, well, I don't know if I get your methodology. Yep. Or and, subscribe
4: to it. Right. <laughs> right,
3: exactly. So the more that you start to get to common standards, the more it'll start to look like uh, the way that we think about advertising and other forms, but. Absent that, there still is an element that's really about the negotiation. Very simply, the the price is what someone's willing to pay, and the analytics that are going to help on that, but it's still going to come down to a negotiation.
2: A quick question for 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 Adam and Scott. As we talked a little bit about sort of the past decade, I, I'm a little I'm interested now in sort of looking towards the future. You guys are on the cutting edge with with what you're doing at, at Corn Hook. It. What are what are the Areas that we should be paying attention to in the future in sponsorship analytics from your perspective. Um, Yeah, so we see, uh, you know, third party standards
7: and, you know, media value has historically been one of the main drivers of value or the way to measure value. And it feels like there's actually a little bit of fatigue around that right now because um, is all media value good. And so we're developing, you know, a standardized set of KPIs that go deeper than the media value piece. So things like promotional effectiveness, share of voice, uh, brand fit you know which is all driven by what the brand is trying to accomplish and then they can literally score the different assets and understand which ones will make the you know the most benefit to my brand Um, so I think going deeper in the KPIs is gonna be a very uh, critical piece so that everyone is subscribed to the same metrics that they can use to uh, to measure success of a sponsorship Um, so yeah and one of the when we first started tracking social media you know back five six years ago um, one of the first big hurdles that we had to um, tackle was everyone was uh, still subscribed to impressions. And impressions is not the way that social media works. It's uh, engagement-based currency. And um, so in the early days, it was very difficult to get people to look at engagement versus impressions. And, uh, but then that finally kind of that tide tipped. So, but yeah, moving forward now, it's, it's media value, it's share of voice, it's promotional effectiveness, and all these different types of things that you can use to gauge the su-
6: success of a partnership. Adam? Yeah, I, I think two things. One is the standardization of assets, uh, which I think you hit on You know, common standardization, is when everybody has it in their head and everybody has a different Excel spreadsheets, it's not standard from club to club to club and partner to partner to partner. And you know, like one of the things we like to think we're doing is revolutionizing that and, and actually helping the team standardize. So now we go into teams and we put them into the core uh, sponsorship program and and real quickly you'll have a, a CRO, VP or whatever go, oh, that makes a lot of sense. And, and now, just like ticketing 20 years ago, started going into ticketing systems, we're, we're standardizing sponsorship assets and there's still very much a aspect of sponsorships where it's pie in the sky ideation and creating platforms and concepts, but the root of it all is the same assets in the bottom, right? Social media activations, all that. And so standardizing it so it is a little easier to sit across the table and understand uh, what everybody has. has, And with that will come the pricing and, and better understanding pricing. We're working with one club right now where, so for, we work with over 100 of the pro 146 uh, big five teams uh, in the US. We have a lot of data. Um, and to your point, you know, moving away from media valuations, moving into actual data valuation, the team we're working with, uh, Bjorn, hey. Uh, is uh, they are asked us to benchmark some metrics for them because we have the sell rates and and whatnot. Obviously, without giving away too much information, we're helping them understand benchmarks in the industry. So what's the core average? What are like markets to your team's average? What are your league averages? Uh, for What we're doing with them is the top 25 assets. So these premium assets that they have, they know that they're pricing them the right way to the market. Um, And so I think with the data will become more sophisticated ways of modeling and pricing, and that's gonna be really interesting.
7: Yeah, it's a really good point because
6: uh, the benchmarking is, is a huge piece of it because
7: the question that we would get is, okay, is this good? And so how do I compare against you know, other you know, properties in my sport you know, across the entire landscape? Uh, so, yeah, translating the data is a really critical piece and helping them understand, and that's where you know, the data science and the machine learning and the modeling that you can do around data sets now is really
2: helping advance the industry very quickly. I got one last question before we turn to the, the questions that have been posed via Twitter from the audience. But as we, we think about the future, I'm also sort of interested in terms of... That, that in venue experience right television coverage has been fantastic you can easily sit on your couch and watch an NFL game with a thousand angles and, and everything and how has how is the in venue experience going to be shaped moving forward through sponsorship what role will that play um, I 'll st- I'll start with you Joe but but I'm also curious to hear what others have to say
3: sure so clearly that's a, a focus for the league and all properties of how do you make the in-venue experience differentiated since in a lot of ways it's a lot easier just to sit at home on your couch and have a great or better experience. So we have to think about how do you make that in-venue experience something that is so memorable and such a reason to go. So that means you've got to do two things. You've got to take away all the friction. So there's all the operational pieces of how do I streamline my concessions and traffic and ingress and egress and all that kind of stuff. So take the friction out of it, but also really drive up the only-in-the-stadium experience. And that's where we work with a lot of our sponsors to go and say, okay, how do you drive some of these experiential moments where it's being down on the field or it's catching <coughs> a, a um, catching a pass outside from an X player, something along those lines. So there's a lot of those kinds of activations, but it really comes from... The place of how do you make that um, that experience in the stadium one of a kind and put that memory and make that social and all of those pieces
2: and, and Rahul you are getting more visibility through television than you are you know at inside the arena in terms of are you doing anything for sort of the fan <clears throat> engagement in the arena or is that a is that a priority for Rakuten?
5: I think this is uh, for, the, for, for the teams and the, and, the, and, the, and the leagues to answer. But w- what we've done in, um, we just announced this very, very recently, uh, the stadiums in Japan, uh, the, the, the home stadiums for both our baseball team and, mm-hmm. uh, and the soccer team, we've announced that we'll be cashless this year. So we're literally taking away um, any use of currency, physical, physical money. So um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a big, big, big step um, simply because uh, Japan overall uh, um, uh, is heavily dependent on, on currency. Uh, we think sports can actually play a great example in showcasing to people on how you can, you can go cashless. Um, and that can be a good example. So we've announced that's a big step in, in uh, improving customer experience. So consumers don't have to be, or fans don't have to be uh, too bothered about um, how much to carry, where to go and uh, pick up stuff using using actual cash, so, that, so that, that's a big step. Uh, but that's with our own teams. So mm-hmm. I think it'll be interesting to hear from others to see what else comes up. Uh,
6: I think an interesting trend has been the consolidation. Uh, I think in the 90s and early 2000s, you'd go into a stadium and see, you know, 200 brands posted all over. I think the NBA uh, stanchions are a very good example of that where it used to be cut up into 10 or 12 different partners on there and you just throw up looking at it, right? It was just, you, nothing was resonating. And now um, teams have realized they could take all that money and partner it into a much more effective activation for teams where uh, it's it's a much more focused experience. And, and when you see one brand on a whole stanchion, it resonates with you a lot more than 20 brands that are cluttered. So. I actually think it's a good thing because you're seeing less and less uh, sponsors in there and, and the sponsorships are becoming much more strategic and, and much more aligned. Um, and then the other thing is actually how they're leveraging stadium assets now for, because I, I think it's a stat of you know, 85% of NBA fans or, or league fans will never actually go to a game, right? And so partners and brands are not worried as much about the in-game stuff. But those assets are still valuable. So um, hockey is an example of uh, on the television and the broadcast putting up logos on the ice boards that aren't really there in the arena, but they're leveraging that asset. And uh, I know that Premier and La Liga are starting it as well, where the LED signage, which is the in-stadium uh, most valuable assets, uh, they're now placing digital copies over that by regions, so you can actually sell regional LEDs for the games. And I think.
2: While it's not in-game, it's interesting how they're leveraging in-game assets to drive more revenue. So one of the questions that the audience has posed is, quite simply, do naming rights matter anymore? Is that something that is still a priority or less so than it used to be? I,
5: I, I think it will be a priority. I think the, the hardcore fan is still going to go to the stadium, and they, it's not going to be empty, at least in the, in the, in the, in the, in the near future. Uh, but I think what will be important is not to just treat it as signage, but how can you embed your brand into the whole experience. I think that will be ex- extremely critical. Um, I, I think we've seen examples of how that can be done both in the product world and in the services world. Um, I'd like to add that uh, some of the conversations. I think Camp Now, FC Barcelona, the stadium is going to go through uh, a change. They've announced it. Um, the Golden State Warriors is going into a new um, you know, into the Chase Center starting uh, starting the coming season. So uh, if you look at the blueprints, it's phenomenal. I think the kind of uh, thinking that's gone into Uh, building these arenas is um, completely out of the world. They've thought through a lot of this stuff right from the time the bricks being laid. It's not like you put everything together and then see where you can put holes and put technology in it. And it's very meaningful technology. I think that's another very important thing. You don't want to have technology for the sake of having technology. It really needs to um, enhance um, uh, fan experience. I think it's going to be a pretty exciting uh, time. To build on that,
3: the stadiums now are becoming such a hub for technology that you have companies that are looking to go and say, how do I use this point place of innovation to really tell my story? So if it's the example Rahul used of let's talk about cashless in the stadium as an example of where that can then apply outside of the stadium. If it's new camera technology, whatever it may be, um, seeing or looking at the stadium as a hub for technology and then embedding that into the story that you're telling is essential.
6: Yeah, I, I still think it's relevant because you have to look at all the assets that come with the naming rights partnership. It's not just putting your name on the building, but it's it's basically it, you get access to anything you want. So if you do want that LED signage and you do want uh, the, the digital content, it all comes baked in that package. So it's more you saying we're that brand that's highly associated with this organization and, and all things that come with it so
2: So, ian we have a a question targeted for you um and we we joked at the beginning about you you know whether you're a major player in the industry or not but certainly when you signed Kawhi, that was a a big statement and how is new balance going to measure the impact of that sort of relationship without you know without getting into sort of the details of, of numbers necessarily how does new balance sort of evaluate that as that was wildly successful
4: Fair enough. Um, it's like the third rail topic, uh, so I'm going to try to uh, create an elegant answer to that. For those of you who don't know, we uh, we've returned to basketball, or made an announcement in the last month that we're returning to making basketball product, and we signed Kawhi Leonard to to be our uh, to be sort of the lead story in doing that. Um, I think we're going to measure the success of Kauai in a couple ways. The first is, I, like in a room full of, as far as I can tell, because the lights are really bright, um, like that's way over-indexing for middle-aged white people, I don't have to explain the problem that New Balance has in in the market, right? We, we for a long time, were what your dad wore. For a long time, we had to beg teenagers to wear our shoes, right? So for us, basketball is as much a lifestyle play as it is a core athletic play. And that's not in any way to suggest that we're not seriously dedicated to making great product and supporting basketball athletes in a competitive sense. But it's, it's, the thing I would, I would say about Kawhi is that you can't grow beyond a certain point as a lifestyle brand in a perform, as a, with a performance DNA if you're not playing in basketball globally right? You simply can't do it. It's the reason Puma's back in the game. It's the reason that we had to get back in the game. So we're going to measure our our success uh, with Kawhi in a couple levels. The first will be the extent to which he creates a halo that we can measurably say is driving volume for us in our lifestyle business, right? Getting new people into the brand. We suffer from no awareness problem, but a high consideration problem. So Kawhi is part of that. What we're not going to do is recoup a lot of value from Kawhi's social channels because they, I can't believe I'm saying this, literally don't exist. Um, it's an anomaly in 2019 to have an athlete who doesn't have Instagram as your marquee athlete. At the same time, we, there were a lot of things about Kawhi that we really loved and valued, and so a big part of the way we'll extract value is to tell his story Ourself and begin to measure the value of that content, right? And we think a big part of that is for a guy whose story hasn't really been told, working with him to tell that story. Is that a reasonable yeah, answer? Yeah, absolutely. To I, a think, I think that, that question that could have gotten me fired. <clears throat> this is being recorded, well, well I
2: think. done. Well, well done. <laughs> uh, I think we have time for for one more question, um, and I'll turn back to to Adam and Scott. Um, how are you evaluating the effectiveness of content when some likes or retweets are coming from fake accounts, and they're not really indicative of sort of the real impact with fans? Is there? <laughs> we talked about this one backstage. We we
6: we voted that we should scratch it, but um, <laughs> all right. Uh, I guess it didn't make the cut. Uh, yeah, it's it's tough. Uh, I, I, you're probably more more qualified for this one. It's um, a
7: it's a tricky one because um, you know the bot farms and the platforms are constantly like at you know trying to outsmart each other. So. Um, you know, there's certain things that you can do. The platforms are all over it to prevent, you know, click fraud and other things. And, uh, so that's why we tend to focus more on engagement versus the number of followers that people have. And there are ways through, you know, models that you can actually identify, uh, trends that are out of the norm. So if posts are getting crazy amounts of engagement that just don't line up with everything else that's been going on, there's ways to kind of flag that stuff. Uh, but it's going to be an ongoing challenge for,
6: you know, years to come. Yeah. I think it's about benchmarking and understanding what you would normally
2: see for yeah. something versus pegging those outliers. All right. Well, I've, I've got another half dozen or so questions, but we have run out of time. Uh, I want to thank the panelists for giving of their time traveling from great distances for, for many of you and from across the uh, the city for, for others. <laughs> thank you to the MIT students, and the organizers, and to the audience for joining us here today. Have a great rest of your conference.
0: If you want to hear these panels in person next year on March 6th and 7th, 2020 in Boston, please register for the 14th Annual MIT Sloan Sports Analytics Conference at sloansportsconference.com.